there's this thing that we call the Pindar principle, which is articulated in all the, the go-giver books. It's the heart of the go-giver marriage, which is this idea that the more you give, the more you have. That's the opposite of traditional economics, which, which is called the dismal science, and which says when you give something away, then you have less, right? If I've got 10 bricks and I give you five, now I've only got five, which is true for bricks, but it's not true for feelings and experiences. Well, John, Anna, thank you so much for joining us on the Freedom Media Network podcast. It is our pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> well, and for those of you who are longtime listeners, you'll recommend, you'll recommend, well, maybe you'll recommend him too. Hopefully you'll recommend him, but you'll recognize John. John was here last year as we talked about the latte factor, and we focused a lot on financial freedom. Today, we're going to focus on relationships. We're going to focus on having a strong marriage. Although I will say that after reading this book, there are a lot of lessons, at least that I took away, that are lessons that can be applied to any relationship that you have, friends, family. Certainly the focus is on marriage. And the book we're discussing today, their new book is called The Go-Giver Marriage, A Little Story about the five secrets to lasting love. Now, I, I will say, if you're like, wait, the go-giver marriage? I've heard of the go-giver. What the heck? Yes. John David Mann is the co-author of the go-giver series of books, millions of copies. And he decided, maybe it was his idea, maybe it was Anna's idea. We can figure this out. I know you write about it. To finally, after all these years, get together with his favorite partner and write this book. So thank you for doing that. <laughs> oh, Man, thank you for having us. And it's it's been something we've been wanting to do for years and years and years. So we could not be more thrilled. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Anna, I, let me ask you: Was it whose idea was it to write this <laughs> book uh, and and to and to co-author it together? Well, I will I will start by saying that when the original copy of The Go Giver came off the printer back in two thousand five or six. The manuscript, yeah. Yeah, the, just the manuscript. It wasn't sold yet, hadn't been shopped to any publishers. Um, after reading it, I turned to John and I said, wow, this is, I mean, I, I loved the book. I mean, it was so compelling. But I said, this would be an incredible book to write with a focus on relationships and specifically on marriage. Um, because most people think that if you're giving in a marriage that you're, overtly codependent or that you've got, you know, some kind of complex where you feel you don't deserve to receive, you just give and give and give. And, you know, it, it doesn't mean any of that. Um, and yet the most powerful marriages that we've witnessed, and I've certainly as a therapist interviewed a lot of people and worked with a lot of people on their marriage, um, are people who have a spirit of generosity and who have the ability to allow their their partner to be themselves and have that separation differentiation and yet that ability to attend to them take care of them and give to them in ways that enriches the bond and enriches their relationship i love that and and you know we obviously talk about the word freedom a lot here and people are like well what why talk about marriage what does that have to do with freedom and yes throughout the book really one of the keys there is it's it's almost as if and it highlights the fact that one can one or the other and spouse can almost become a prisoner of of applying thoughts that may or may not exist to the other person or of you, you talked about the giving piece of it but there's also a little bit of selfishness in a good way I think that's applied in terms of realizing, um, and once you read the book, you got to read the book to figure out what this means. What is my cathedral? Yeah. What is what is my cathedral that I want to build? And uh, the, she had to uh, Tess had to kind of come to grips with what her cathedral is. Yes. As did um, uh, the oh gosh now I'm now I'm horrible I'm sorry I'm Tom. not much Tom. Tom, Tom, Tom. Yeah. yeah. I was, I, my mind is on Jeremiah, who's another character. Yeah. Um, and yeah, because Tess and Tom, that's the name of a chapter, right? So, uh, <laughs> but a little bit, there, there, there's freedom because it's, like you said, it's the freedom not only for us to realize who we want to be. Yes. But for us to realize 
that our partner, our spouse, wants to be something as well, right? Is, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. It does. It, it, gets to, it kind of gets to the heart of, you know, there's sort of this paradox in marriage. And it, the reason this book exists and the reason it needs to exist and, 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 you know, people need, the reason marriage is, as one character says, can be something of a puzzle um, for so many people is that there's sort of a paradox there. And the paradox kind of gets at what you're talking about. The, the challenge of marriage, if you want to call it a challenge, uh, the situation of marriage is you're going to take two people who each have their own lives, independent, fully grown adults, who each have their own thing going on, becoming one, yet without giving up their individuality. So they're, 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 they're one, but they're two. They're one, but they're two. They're two, but they're one. And how does that work? Um, and, and so there's this thing that we call the Pindar principle which is articulated in all the, the, the go-giver books. And it, it's the heart of the go-giver marriage, which is this idea that the more you give, the more you have. See, that's, that's the opposite of traditional economics, which, which is called the dismal science, and which says when you give something away, then you have less, right? If I've got 10 bricks and I give you five, now I've only got five, which is true for bricks, but it's not true for feelings and experiences. For human beings, when we give love or give respect or give attention or give companionship or even give our time, um, when we give these human values, we end up with more. We end up with more. So that you, know, you can look at marriage as a, as a grand compromise where you're giving up all your freedoms uh, and limiting yourself to accommodate to the other person. And, and that's a really small view of marriage. It's one that I think a lot of people have, you know, mm. maybe unspoken. We look at marriage as a launching pad for both of us to become our best selves. Mm. I love that. Um, and, you know, as someone who's, I, you know, has coached people, and I, I don't do marriage coaching or anything like that, but invariably it comes in if someone's looking to build a business or if someone's unfulfilled with their life. Yes. And it's, it's so interesting how a number of people, so there was a, a few years ago, I had uh, uh, a client and she, they lived in Chicago and she was so sick of Chicago, sick of the weather, sick of Chicago, whatever, and wanted to move to Charlotte. But my husband will never go for it. Well, how do you know? I just know. Yes. <laughs> and I said, okay, well, how do, the, how do the conversations go? She said, well, just take the other day. We're at the park and this cold wind blew through. And I said, oh, it's so cold. And he said, and don't tell me, it's not as cold in Charlotte. <laughs> and there we discussed it. I said, that's the discussion? I said, that's, that's passive aggressive comment. <laughs> they got to uh, sitting down and he's like, oh, I thought you were kidding. Yeah, I'll move to Charlotte. Once they actually sat down, oh, and had man. A discussion, <laughs> that's that, classic. That similar has played out so many times. Men who I had a client, and this happened a couple times, whose wife made more money than they did, and so they were killing themselves because they thought their wife didn't like the fact. But they never sat down and had a discussion about it. At what in the book they, you know, Tom and Tess come to their realizations and come to the, the five lessons that you teach in the book yes separately but at what point do, and and it's in i find it interesting because a lot of people think about marriage counseling as you know you see it on tv right two people sitting there with the therapists and they're getting mad and they're one of them's getting mad at the therapist you know whatever else but in the book, even uh, when Tess goes uh, at, to the, the professor, talks about the fact that her marriage coaching separated out the couples. Yeah. So to, where's the fine line between, hey, they got to come together and do this, but as, a, as separate human beings, they got to figure stuff out on their own. Does that question make sense? <laughs> oh, it makes it does. sense. Yeah. Okay, so... You know, the, the professor actually says a marriage is a tree and you are the soil. And, and that goes for both of you. So, you know, I think it's really easy to forget that we are feeding or, or starving our marriage on a daily basis um, by innuendo, by um, negative commentary, by 
forgetting to ever say thank you. You know, sometimes I'll be coaching someone individually and I'll say, when was the last time that you thanked your husband or your wife? And believe it or not, people are constantly going, you know, you can see (laughs) their eyes are flicking back and forth trying to think and remember. And a lot of them will say, gosh, I don't, I I don't know. Mm. I, I don't remember. And, you know, sometimes they'll say, well, you know, I thanked him for putting the kids to bed last night. But in truth, I don't really think I thank him that often. And, you know, taking the time to thank somebody for the simplest things, like the way that they took a load off of you by giving the kids a bath or, you know, taking the kids out to the park for just 30 minutes so you could take a bath. Um, You know, there's just sometimes there's moments when, you know, we're constantly bailing each other. And I, you know, you have four children, so you really understand this, I'm sure. John and I have many children as well. And it's, you know, it's like there's just a, such a juggling act in the everyday of life that when you're appreciating the other person and truly authentically finding ways to appreciate them, finding ways to give them feedback that builds their self-esteem, reminds them of who they are, um, those are things that most of us are missing every day. You know, I mean, if every one of us, and forgive the analogy, but if every one of us had an ideal parent in our lives and had grown up with an ideal parent who constantly said, wow, you're amazing. You know, wow, look at this thing you just did. Wow, you can read that book all by yourself. You know, all those things that as parents we take for granted because we want to build our child's self-esteem. We want to feed and nourish their sense of self. But in the adult world, it's a cruel place. I mean, you can be invisible on Instagram, but working your tail off trying to do something. You know, you can have so many different things that you're working on to bring your goals and your and your desire forward in terms of your work or whatever it is that you're focused on. Um, and yet it, it's a really hard world and there's not a lot of positive feedback coming our way. So just, you know, minuscule things like taking the time to appreciate somebody once or twice a day and and, in the most authentic way can make such a remarkable difference in how some people are feeling. I remember a time with John one day where I just let him know that I really appreciated something he had done for me. And he stopped in his tracks and said, I have had such a hard day. Mm. Thank you for saying that. Mm. It was like, you know, I, I needed... I needed some sense that I wasn't just, you know, a pile of crap in that moment. Because he he was just feeling bad. He had had a bad day. Everybody Uh, is suffering more than they show on the surface. (laughs) At almost all times. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, It's interesting how, and I find this happens a lot when I'm reading books, that it, it, like the universe sends me, the the right books at the right time or similar not not similar books but books with a similar theme that smacks me in the face your book was one in a series of books where the notion of uh and and this is one something you write about too but but related to what you're, you're talking about is that it's you can control yourself but you can't control the other person yeah and i just read a book and and i did this we just had a funeral and i've had some there are some members of my family that i hadn't even talked to in nine years um because of certain conflicts and so okay well here it goes you walk right in and and i read a book called leadership and self-deception yeah which talks about being in the box or out of the box and then I rewatched a, uh, I don't know if you know Dr. Joe Vitale. Um, he was on my show last year. Uh, he's going to be on again in January. And he, I rewatched a clip and then read it in, reread it in his book where he says, it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. And you can change yourself, which changes the outer. And then this lesson in the book and applying that at the services two weeks ago, but also moving forward, it just made such a huge difference in terms of it's easy, even in a marriage. And and Tom and Tess have this to, to go. And what you just said with John in terms of saying, I appreciate it and, and not realizing what people are going through. It's easy to assume, well, they know 
Yeah. They know that I appreciate them. They know. And it's like, I tell them that all the time. When was the last time you told them? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, three years ago. <laughs> yes, yes. Make assumptions. And, and you know, everything about marriage, everything you can say about marriage in terms of principles or ways that you can improve it or, or ways that it operates, its dynamics, are all exacerbated when we're under stress. You know, it, it's easy to have a happy marriage and everybody's happy, right? But but that isn't reality because reality is we're all struggling with our lives. Stuff happens. So you know, yeah, honestly, I had a hard day that day. Well, you know, we're we're stressed out with it with, with deadlines or a schedule or the dog is sick or we're sick or something's going wrong or the roof is leaking. Or, you know, this stuff is all happening, and it tends to not bring out our best. It tends to bring out our most habitual. <laughs> so we like to work on the habitual. What are we doing every day? How are we behaving in little ways every day? Because that's where the marriage is made in the little things we do every day. And, you know, there's a line in the book that says, when you work on, when you work on your marriage, you don't work in your marriage. You're working yourself. And this is exactly what you're saying, Kurt. And, and the reason we, we kind of stress that so much in the book, and this is go back to your question about what's, where do you draw the line between working things out together versus kind of working on yourself and working things on your own. The point that we really want to get across in the book is that it's really easy to make problems, especially under stress, about the other person. Hmm. It's really easy to make disharmony that crops up, maybe not even saying in those words, make it the other person's fault. Um, and, and that's natural, I think. I think it's a natural response. It's a self-defense response. It's a natural aggression response. And that's like it's one of the most critical... It's a projection what? as well. Hmm. It's a, Yes. And that's what Kurt was speaking to. Please say more about that. Projection. How so? Yes. Well, first off, we all arrive at every, every marriage has two people coming together with two complex histories. Yeah. And... Those two complex histories are banging like this all the time <laughs> because you each have your own preconceived idea about how the marriage should go, how the marriage should appear to the outer world, and also who you want that other person to be. And yeah. the truth is, is that the, more, the closer you get in the marriage, the more you'll start to uncover layers of your own material that will rise up and get in your face and suddenly there you are in a sort of codependent action, mm. trying to mold your partner to be the person that you would like them to be. Or you not, think they ought to be, yeah. Yeah, not the person that they are. And, you know, that's really, there's a time and a place to get in the room with a, with a therapist with both of you. But it's usually when criticism which has its own momentum in a marriage. The minute you start criticizing your partner, you are really heading down a dark path. Even if it's in you, just in your head. Right. And by the time you reach the point of contempt, you know, and these are, you know, Dr. John Gottman, who's the premier uh, marriage researcher worldwide. I mean, he's studied marriages for 40 years now. I mean, he is really the guy who defined what he calls the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And criticism and contempt are two of them. So when you're hitting those places where you're holding your partner in contempt, you're actually speaking to them in ways that are really disrespectful and not whole. Um, then you're, you're, you're barking. And, you know, one of you could be doing work to try to change it. Um, but often you need to get in the room with, with somebody, with both of you, so that you can really ask some questions, you know, do we want to continue? Are we committed to working on this? Um, marriages are much more complex. And I think the other reason that we write the book and that, that we focus on, on, on generosity is that mm -hmm. there are so many ways that you can nourish and feed the other person in really profound ways that, that feed them personally, that feed them emotionally. Um, and, that, and there's so many ways that you can give. And I'll give another example. Because I, I work with a lot of women and men. And so I always ask questions about intimacy. You know, like, how alive is your intimate life? And where does it stand? And how do you, as an individual, really feel about it? 
And that, those are the moments when I'll find people saying, well, you know, my wife's really not that interested anymore. <laughs> or, or I'll find people saying, you know, my husband doesn't quite do it right. <laughs> and I'm always like, okay, all right. Define, then, define right. Yeah, yeah <laughs> define right, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, these are really important questions because then you start to find out, I'm blushing, I can see it already on camera. Um, these are the moments when you find out what's really going on for that individual, how they really feel about the other person, how they really feel about the marriage, and if the marriage has the capacity for intimacy that can go to a much deeper place. And often, with just a little coaching, and you know, with both women and men, I try to help them um, find ways that they can increase the frequency of intimacy, number one, because if I've done a lot of interviewing of people in marriages because I find marriage research is at the core of what we were aiming at in this book. So when you interview people, often one partner thinks there's way too much and the other partner thinks there's way too little intimacy. And, um, and or somebody's happy with where it's at and the other person feels it's really not enough. Um, so I try to find ways that they can, can approach this with a giving attitude make a decision that twice a week is absolutely going to happen. And then you really are absolutely cueing the other person that, you know, Hey, tonight, let's get those kids to bed early. Let's, let's make time for us. You know, that you're setting up the candles, you're doing the things that, that give your partner the clear message that, yeah, yeah, tonight. Yeah. Because it's amazing how many men I've coached, who will say, well, I don't want to ask her. She was with the kids all day long. I don't want her to feel like I'm just like a pawing dog, you know, and I don't, you know, and at the same time, he's quietly wants so much more. And it's not like he needs her to be there every day of the week. I mean, there's, there's so many men that are like, you know, even if it was once a week, I'd be happy. But in a lot of marriages that are seven or eight or 10 years old or old, there's a lot of, you know, it's, it's happening twice a month instead mm -hmm. of a little more often than that. And I bring this up just because it's amazing how much it warms up the, the, the whole family when there's a little more playfulness, a little more intimacy, and a little more of that generosity of spirit of, of doing this as an act of giving. Like, mm -hmm. stop looking at it as, what am I going to get? and start looking at it as what can I give? Maybe my husband's had a hard day at the office and what he really needs right now is this. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's yeah. such a simple thing. I could just put in there that I mentioned Pindar's principle earlier. You know, the more you give, the more you have. You know, so much sex life would be better for so many people if they just made this little switch, which is to approach it, this is what Donna just said, approach it from the point of view of giving rather than getting. I think one of the things that creates unspoken tension in people's sex lives is this idea that it's a t feeling it's a tug of war. It's like, oh, my husband just wants it, wants it, wants it. My wife doesn't want to give it, doesn't want to give it. If you both approach it from the point of view of giving to the other, you know, everybody ends up happy. It's not like there's going to be a shortage of pleasure or a shortage of companionship or a shortage of intimacy there's enough for everybody <laughs> it's a question of your orientation are you trying to get or are you trying to give um so yeah and even something like a massage like john's shoulders get really tight he writes all day long you know some sometimes several times a week i'll give him a little shoulder massage and neck massage and i'll work on his on the occiput of his you know base mm. of his head and just you know open up and loosen things up and you know, it's just, it's just a small act of giving. It takes 20 minutes. Um, but it's like, ah, you know, it's, it's has an impact. So I'm always trying to help people find ways that they can attend to their partner in, in different ways that they can create little acts of service. Like sometimes somebody will take, you know, I have one, co one, um, client right now that on Saturday mornings, he decided he, his wife likes to go to the Saturday market, but Saturday mornings are chaos at their house. They have five children. And so he has gotten in the habit of getting all the kids loaded into the car with the dog and he takes them to the park and she goes to the, to the farmer's market. And she ends up making a fabulous dinner because she gets a lot of great vegetables and comes home really happy because she got some time to herself. 
he said it's just been like life changing. It was such a little thing. Wow. It's such a little yeah. thing. Yeah, it's it's you know, and you, you think about the continuity of the Go Giver books and yeah. the Pindar principle, and you use the word shortage. And looking at that abundance mindset and prosperity, yes. which is yes. so much more than just money. Yeah. And it's that same giving principle. And, and you know, Randy Gage writes about it in terms of, and, and Joe Vitale writes about it in terms of you have to get, when it comes to money, get that money into circulation, yeah. right? And, and don't be afraid to do that. He's got a new book called Karmic Marketing, where it's, it's that. It's, it's karma. You give and so you receive and so it's interesting in how it doesn't just apply to money and, and prosperity. It applies to your relationships, your marriage. and, and you, know, you know, Kurt, I've always had, you know, I've not had a, 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 I've always had kind of, I'll say it the positive way. I've always leaned toward an abundance mindset in relation to money. I haven't always been wealthy. I've started out as a poor background, but I've never had a huge struggle with, with, with uh, a scarcity thinking in terms of money. I've always had a huge problem with scarcity thinking in terms of time. Mm. I've been the way some people are like, Oh my God, I don't have enough money. I've always been that way about time. You know, I'm, I'm pressed. I'm pressed. I remember years, days in my twenties and thirties when I was completely miserable simply because there wasn't enough time to get done what I wanted to get done. Something I was passionately devoted to, but there wasn't time. And so it's like, I have like a time checkbook in my head and I'm stingy about writing a, a five minute check because then it's five minutes I won't have. And this has been a huge lesson for me through, <laughs> through the Go-Giver books and also through our marriage because one of the things that you're going to want to give to the other person when you're in a relationship that's committed for long term is time. Time mm -hmm. is one of those things you give. And see there... You can say, well, if you give love, you'll have more love. If you give companionship, you'll have more. But time is finite, right? So it's really easy to fall in this trap of like, well, if I, if, I, if I give up an hour that I had planned to do this, and suddenly I, I, I'm being asked to give it up hmm. to her or to him you know, for something that he or she wants, well, then I'm going to have less, and that's not fair, and I'm going to be poor. I'm going to be time poor. That's not, <laughs> it's really yeah. easy to have that, that scarcity thinking. And what I've learned is, Son of a gun, when I am time generous with my wife, whom you see here on the screen, the lovely lady Anna, when I'm time generous with her, it's like my entire life gets more relaxed. Suddenly, I don't know how it works, but suddenly I have more time for my stuff. I have more time to write. Deadlines that feel crushing don't crush me after all. I'm still breathing. It's like, yeah, the more you give, the more you have. So it just makes sense to look for more ways to give. It, it's it's very interesting in that um, I, I just had a <laughs> I just had a thought, and literally as I'm in the middle of talking, the thought disappeared. Uh, <laughs> and we'll come back because there is an abundance of thoughts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll come back to it, but I, I did have another question. So <clears throat> we've talked about a number of. So I mentioned it, you're. You're going to recognize some characters uh, from past Go-Giver books, uh, some principles, some style. Uh, you used the word stratospheric. I, I noticed how, how you worked that in a, a few times. That in, yes. But there's also laws, and there's five laws here. And, and we've talked about a number of the laws. Yeah. question that I have for you is, um, uh, and it was funny because I've, I wrote a book, Five Pillars of the Freedom Lifestyle, and I'm working on one called five, uh, Four Pillars of an Authority Brand. And someone says, well, how, how did you come up with that? I'm like, I don't know. I made them up. <laughs> and it fit into four and five. You know, it, there's more to it. But the five, you know, John, you're a writer, prolific writer, author. Um, Anna, clinical psychologist. Is it, were the five laws out there? And you're like, hey, let's just put it in the book. Were you, hey, we need five laws, so let's distill down the things we already know into five catchy laws. I'm always, I'm always curious, just from a, 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 a writing perspective, because uh, the laws, the laws act are fit, the laws are wonderful, they're great, but always interested in how people come into these uh, to make it in a nice, neat package for the reader. <laughs> Shall I take that? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'll start. I have something to say about it, but you go. I'll, I'm sure you do, and I can't wait to hear it. So I'll start the ball rolling. Um, so first thing is, um, 
the mind travels back. When Bob and I started writing The Go-Giver, the original book, you know, almost 20 years ago now, we didn't have five principles. We didn't have five anything. We had this idea of putting the other person's interest first, of, of coming at life with a spirit of generosity, an attitude of how can I give value rather than take value, and blah, 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 blah. We had this basic idea. Bob had this idea for the, the core of the book. That's why it was called The Go-Giver. And we started to work on it. I started to play with the story. I've always been enamored with five. I'm a composer from way back. Pentatonic scales have always meant a lot to me. I've, I've always, uh, it was a big thing in Chinese medicine, which I studied, which I know also studied. This, this archetype of five has always uh, intrigued me. And so as we were working on the go-giver, it, it started to feel like, oh yeah, this is going to turn out to be a five thing. And if it's a five thing, I intuitively knew that the fifth is going to be seemingly contradictory to the first four. <laughs> it's like four fingers and an opposing thumb. And the thumb goes the opposite way, but without a thumb, it's hard to do things, a lot of things. So that's the idea in the go-giver go five. So in the go-giver itself, these first four principles are all about different aspects of giving. Principle number five is about the law of receiving, the law of receptivity. Mm -hmm. In order to keep giving, continuous giving, you have to be open to receiving. It's the fifth law of the go-giver. And all the go-giver books have sets of five and the fifth is always the secret that makes the other four work and so you know that's that is we went into the go-giver marriage you know kind of knowing that that was our sort of our spiritual template our vibrational template um, for the book but then in terms of working out what these actually tease into the surface what these five secrets really are i mean the five secrets in our book are close reflections of the five laws of stratosphere of mm. success and the original go-giver. They're not literally the same thing, but they're echoes of the same thing. Um, but then some of the most fun that Anna and I had, because we wrote this book together, some of the most fun we had on long walks together, you know, around the blocks of our neighborhood was talking about these different five secrets and, and, and what felt right and what was the reality of our marriage and what was the reality of what we saw in other people's marriage. So, yeah, we knew there was going to be a five and the fifth was going to be opposite. But we also, it was a question of sort of pulling out of real life. What, what matters? What, what are the secrets? And now what are you going to say? Well, I'm actually going to reveal with a drum roll. Oh, boy. The fifth secret. Oh, cool, because that makes perfect sense. Because, you know, in order to have a giving spirit, you also have to be in a marriage. You have to be, you have to be willing to uncover your dirt hmm. in order to feed the soil of the tree. <laughs> and by that, I mean everybody brings, as I said earlier, everybody brings their own history and their own um, material to a marriage and to any relationship. And that's why there's so many books written on codependence, on gaslighting, and on all the different phenomena of, of, you know, what makes it not feel good. So when we talk about the fifth secret, which is to take the time to get into your own personal growth, and that could be as simple as, you know, focusing on your health and taking yoga and learning a breathing method, which Kurt, you and I have talked about. Um, it could be, you know, really taking the time to, to make a deep change in the way that you eat or the way that you take care of yourself. It could also mean that you're going to go back to school and take on a new course of study and grow in different ways. But one of the real ways that we focus on and that we talk about, and certainly in our coaching and in training coaches, we talk about is Asking a, asking a person the question, okay, if you could really do serious personal growth in this area, what would it look like? What is it that you really need to address that isn't working for you? And spending the time, and it is like therapy, but it is one-on-one. -on -one. Um, it is like therapy because when you are working with somebody in a therapeutic manner um, and you know, individual therapy is like this. I've had many, many clients where they will drop a bomb, a very heavy bomb. They'll tell you about something really painful from their childhood just as they're leaving. Mm. You don't have time to talk about it. In, in therapy circles, we call it door handle therapy. 
because they decide to drop the bomb and tell you that, in fact, they had this very painful experience when they were nine. Um, and they tell you about it just as they're leaving. by. Okay, well, you have to say to them, we'll have to talk about that <clears throat> next week because you don't have any more time. It is, at times, a way of trying to push the boundary of, I'm going to drop this bomb. Will you make extra time to talk to me about it? Um, but because the session has to end, you often have to push it to next week. But the point being that um, people are afraid of their darkness. They're afraid of the things that, that hurt. But those things are festering, and you will project them onto your partner. You yeah. will. You will. They will rise up. Your partner will become a reflection of whatever it is that's unresolved in you. And you will start <clears throat> to either resent them or have feelings of, you know, distance um, and or, you know, it, it will inhibit the way that you're expressing in the relationship. And so when you do that personal work, when you do that personal growth, and you endeavor to uncover your own material in a way that allows you to get free, maybe you have better boundaries because of it. Maybe, you know, it shifts a lot of things for you. Um, that's the kind of stuff that makes the marriage get richer, so much richer, so much deeper, because you come to the marriage with a new spirit of giving and of generosity and of also being more whole. You know, the person that goes off and studies yoga and loses 50 pounds and does a whole big health shift, you know, they're going to be a really different person. And um, I want to piggyback on that and say, you know, and growth, the way that person grows might be, you know, a, a burst forward in their career. And, right. you know, how many times have we seen one spouse, usually particularly a husband, be threatened by suddenly his wife having a, 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 a turbocharge in her career. And it could happen the other way. It could happen with any couple. Um, to be threatened by that is like totally missing the opportunity. It's totally missing the point. Because the truth yeah. is, if my wife's career takes off, this is going to make – it makes our life richer. You know, it, it's like we're not here for one of us to shine and the other one to just walk around in the background and say, well, there he is. There she is. Um, we're both here to shine. We're all here to shine. Marriage isn't meant to be something that limits you. It's meant to be something that nourishes you and provides your growth. So, you know, if the first five secrets are all about what you give to the other person, ways you can give, the fifth secret is going to be about ways you can grow yourself, nourish yourself. You can become a larger version. There's this line in the book that says the purpose of marriage is to Give yourself to the other person and in the process become your best self. That is, um, you know, and, and like you said, that's in line with the, the, the reci re uh, reciprocity. Yeah, yeah I was going to say reciprocity, but the law receptivity. of receptivity. Receptivity. I was going yeah. to do some weird halvesy of reciprocity and receptivity. Um, <laughs> a quick aside on that, I, it's uh, on the receptivity, but, but how that applies. Last Monday, my, my daughter and I were at the gym and we came out of the gym and there was a guy who seemed to be in his thirties. My daughter's 15 and he kind of followed us out of the gym. I'm kind of like, what's this guy going to do? You know? And he came out and he, he told us, um, he said, listen, I don't, I, I came out, I got a vibe from your daughter, but I wanted to come out with you here. I didn't want you to think I was a weirdo. Yeah. And he said, you know, a few years ago, he's like, there's seven of us brothers and one of our brothers a five-year-old son died on Christmas morning of a, a, a very rare condition called CDL, which has a French name. I can't remember what it is. Um, and he said, the reason I'm out here is we just select random people to do acts of kindness for every December. And I just got this vibe from your daughter and I wanted to come out here with you here. So you didn't think it was a, a weirdo vibe. And, um, I don't know if you need these, but I saw you with the, the wired headphones and here's AirPods and, and just gave a gift of Apple AirPods. Now those are, I don't know, hundred, I think it's 150 bucks or something, right? They're not yeah. cheap. Yeah. And my first thought was, we don't need it. Please give that to someone else who needs it. Mm. And you know what? The first thing that popped in my head when I thought that was the go-giver. <laughs> The I love law it. of receptivity made zero sense to me when I read the book. And <sighs> even when I interviewed Bob. Yeah. And over the last year, it started to make more sense. And it 
and and so thinking of it in that regard, he felt so good because I received it. But then in the book, there are several, and I'd like to ask you about this too. There's a it's interesting because the book are always fables or parables, but you have a fable inside the fable <laughs> with the book and the tree. But there's several instances where there's giving. And the person doesn't necess- isn't excited about receiving, right? I'll make you tea, whatever, you know? But in the receiving, you make the other, it, it's again that circulation of, of you know, when, when you give to me, I don't want to take it. But when I do, you feel better. And then begrudgingly, I feel better too. Um, anyways, that was just an aside about, about receptivity and thinking about that and what happened last week and kind of the continuity of the books, uh, because I think it's, it's hard for us to accept, Hey, we all look getting gifts, but you know, everybody has a hard time with that fifth law in the go-giver, the law of receptivity. Everybody, Bob and I have experienced this for, for, you know, for a decade and a half now, everybody says this first four laws just felt right and natural to me, but the fifth law was a struggle for me. And the example that, that I think both of us always tend to give the easiest example to see is how hard it is to receive a compliment gracefully. Like someone says, you're looking terrific today. And it's so easy to say, Oh, you know what, this old thing. No, I just, something I, you know, <laughs> something I got out of the thrift shop. Oh, you know, people say, well, that writing was fantastic. We say, Oh no, no, no. You go, no, 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 no. You, you, sh- you shoo away compliments. We do it all the time. And that's what you're talking about. You're trying to shoo away the, 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 uh, the earbuds, whatever they're called, earbuds, um, your pods. The thing about it is that giving it, it, it is a two person operation. I mean, it takes the other person for the giving to, to, to complete the circuit. Um, and, you know, marriage is nothing if not that. You know, it is, you know, you can, you can give, you can appreciate the other person. As Anna was talking about, look for ways to, to thank them and to tell them, you know, that they're terrific and tell them what you love specifically about them. But the other person has the responsibility of accepting that, of taking that and saying, thank you. I appreciate that so much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in relation to growing, John, I was talking about, you know, you can't, there's an old saying in sales, you can't sell from an empty basket, you know, you can't give from an empty you know, core. If you're exhausted and drained and, and, you know, your, your, your life is kind of on hold, you can't give much to the other person. Um, so, you know, growing yourself, nourishing yourself, isn't just giving to yourself. It's also giving to the couple. It's giving to the, to the both of you. And that brings me to one piece that I, I want to make sure that we mention before we end today. And that is, um, in all marriages, we find that people are really holding a scorecard. Mm-hmm. And that it's an extremely difficult thing for them to drop. It's like, well, I made him breakfast five days this week. Do I have to do it two more? You know, or I... Um, you know, just, just this whole idea that, you know, I did the dishes three nights in a row. Don't you think it's your turn? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the, or whole I said idea. three nice things to you. Guilty. Like something yeah. nice to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, and, and also, um, you know, sometimes people will authentically appreciate somebody or, or give them, you know, some really positive feedback and there will be a sense that it wasn't received. They'll just kind of grumble and go on their way. Um, so, you know, it's important to, to remember that the scorecard is, is if, as long as you're holding the scorecard, it's you, you versus me. You're always keeping score in that way that it's like you're over here and I'm over here. Um, but when you drop the scorecard, um, you're able to basically get back to the us. And it's important in all marriages to remember, like, this is the person you were madly in love with that you married. Mm-hmm. You know, like you were... Think about the day you got married. I mean, you were just so excited to join with this person and start the rest of your life. Um, so it's, it's really important to lose that scorecard. And, it, and it's something that people naturally hold on to um, because they, they want to keep score on the giving. They want it to be like, well, I gave to you, so you should give to me now. And Hey, how come you never bring me flowers anymore? Oh, it can be like withdrawal, letting go of the keeping score. It can be like withdrawing from a drug. Because it's you, people just 
are, are attached to that, you know, that's uh, I, it's a way. It's a way. It's a way of reassuring myself that I'm really a good guy. Because look at look at the things I've done for her, and she has. I've done six things for her, and she only did five and a half things for me. That's not fair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> here's here's a question that I have that that so you know. The books, uh, all the books, you know, are kind of like, uh, kind of like uh, M. Night Shyamalan movies, right? Where it's like really <laughs> disparate things all of a sudden come together at the end. Like that person, surprise like that person, this person knows that. Oh my gosh, they're married to this person, right? But in this book, you know, there's there's a, a wonderful ending. I love how the book. I'm not. I'm going to ask this question. I'm going to try to ask this question in a way that doesn't give away. No spoilers. But things happen in this book where Tess and Tom coincidentally or not coincidentally are taken under the wing of some great people on the same day right and and come to come to similar conclusions right uh mm-hmm. that, that help them yes and um what but let me ask a question what if you know tom had his discussion with jeremiah and comes to a conclusion and tess has her kind of i'll call it her selfish awakening meaning when she uh, she's like, I don't have any skeletons in my closet. Da, da, da. <gasps> oh wait, I do, and it's or basically do, kind of right, like yeah. I'm unfulfilled. This is you know she has that, but then Tom comes home and realizes that, and so is able to do something before she even and she doesn't even agree with it. What would happen if Tom hadn't had that awakening? She has an awakening of I'm unfulfilled. And this is what I really want to do, but Tom doesn't. In that case. It didn't t- tie up in a neat bow. Yeah, and yeah. In, in real life, it doesn't. He, we don't have mentors separately on the same day. So what? Or, what or hold on, hold on there, just a moment. Yeah. <laughs> or do we? Or does it? <laughs> right. You know, this is like the, this is the perennial uh, objection, if you will. I know you're not making an objection. Right. Perennial objection of go get for stories is well, this is a story. It doesn't happen this way in real life. Or does it? Because the truth <laughs> is, you. I remember you were saying earlier. Um, Sometimes I just seem to read three or four books that all seem to be saying the same thing to me at the same time. Well, sometimes he and she, um, or he and he, or she and she, whatever the, sometimes two people seemingly independently have experiences that somehow echo each other. You know, the universe is a mysterious and wonderful place, and it works in ways that that are, are beyond our comprehension at times, but it's all vibration. And so, yeah, you know, part of the, I think, my interpretation is part of the reason that Tess and Tom sort of have parallel experiences on this day, um, which, by the way, Jill and, Jillian and Jackson do also in The Go-Giver Influencer. They both have mentors who are saying kind of the same thing. The reason that these parallel experiences happen is because they're in, in sync to some degree. It's not a coincidence. They, 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 they live in a world where they're reverberating, they're resonating with each other. And I mean, yeah, you're right. It could be that it could be that the the it hadn't tied up so neatly and that they came to their realizations at different times on different days. And real life is like that, where it's sloppy and messy sometimes and it's not neat and tidy. But the more open you are, the more you stay open to what's really going on beyond your limited understanding and to the other person's experience, the more this stuff happens. The more you find, people used to ask us, our friends asked us for years, what's your guy's secret sauce? What is, what is it? What is your guy's secret that you go through life and we've had difficulties and trauma and, and challenges in our lives, but we always seem to come out of it loving each other more and being happier. I'm happier than I've ever been in my life. And, and I've been through years and years of feeling isolated and lonely in, in previous relationships, previous marriage. Um, it's not an accident. It, you know, part of the reason that we, as we grow, we grow together and not grow apart. We've both changed so much in the two decades we've been together, but the change so much has been like together. We seem to change together. It's not that we are trying to just ch- do things the way the other person does it. It's because we're open to each other. It's resonance. And I think that these things actually do do happen in real life. Well, I just said a lot, didn't I? I'll stop talking. Oh, no, I have something to add to it, though. Oh, good. I'll, I'll give you an alternate ending, Kurt, because oh, yeah. um, I think that um, Tom could have come to, you know, the decision that he 
and, and moved forward. And it wasn't the decision that the book ends with. Right. And yet she had her moment of personal growth. She had her moment where she suddenly realized that she was harboring a deep resentment. Mm. And when you get in touch with a deep resentment, it, it wouldn't matter what Tom did. She'd have to, she'd have to shift mm. because she realized that she was, was smothering. I mean, she was under the weight of, of feeling like she'd been, I mean, I had the exact experience. I was a professional woman. I was a professor at a university and I had a child with special needs. And the minute that child was born, I had to quit my job as a professor, quit my private practice, quit the clinic I worked at, and I had to stay home for the next four years. Hmm. Because when you have a child with extreme special needs or seizures or anything of that sort, they can't go to daycare. Hmm. It's not an option. Your whole life changes in a heartbeat. And so, it, but it didn't stop me from growing. And it wouldn't have stopped Tess either, because once you recognize that you're under, you know, that you have an anvil on your chest and you're smothering, you start to realize that you've got to find some ways to breathe. And so, um, you know, I moved a young woman into my house, into a mother-in-law apartment, and basically gave myself some breaks to write, some, and I started publishing some works. Um, I started, you know, stepping out in and different theories psychologically that I was really behind and that I'd worked as a therapist on trauma and other things. And I started publishing, you know, you can find a lot of ways to express yourself and to grow and to keep the channels open. So the alternative ending is this, you know, he went forward and, um, you know, was, and she had to find a new way to grow. Um, but I promise you, she knew she was smothering and she would have found a new way to grow because it was that moment where she woke up and said, Oh, right. I'm struggling. Wow. I got to do something about this. And it's not his job to fix it. <clears throat> That's the moment. That was the moment of her real recognition. That's why she wrote him that note and said, you're an incredible father mm. because she suddenly realized that he's an incredible father. She just was giving him a gift. Yeah. So it, it, it wasn't about Tom and whether he made the right decision. Tess had already realized what she needed to do, which was to go. That's great. That's great. It's a really good observation. So he could yeah. have made an entirely different decision than he did, and the book still would have ended with the marriage going on in a new direction that was positive. Got it. Yeah, it, 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 I, I, I love that, that you explained that, because it's easy to look at, the specific activity or the specific thing happening as if it's the only possible way that things yes. could happen. Meaning, yeah. meaning if that was an alternate ending that you said she will find ways to grow versus you didn't say he mm -hmm. shared the news and she's like, you jerk, you need to, <laughs> you need to yeah. move backward. They both can move forward. And maybe he would have come to a realization that after a year, right? That maybe, yeah. I'm not building my cathedral. Um, <laughs> so, so I have a, of the, of the five laws, my favorite. And, and I say this because it's, again, these things happening. I had told someone three weeks ago. So my book was five pillars of the freedom lifestyle. And they asked if you had to rewrite your book, do it over again, what would you change? And I hadn't pre-thought this, but I came out and I said, well, it's down to me. I use the word fight way too much in the book. Fight for your life of freedom and fulfillment. Fight mm -hmm. for more in your life. Mm -hmm. I said, I would change that and I would switch it out with a different word. And he said, well, what? And the one word that came to my head was allow. <laughs> this was three weeks ago. And feeling. so... One of the five laws is allowing, right? That was my favorite. It spoke to me. I love all the five laws. Um, do you, either of you have a, a favorite law that you write about in the book? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll speak to mine. Um, and it, it's, it's going to sound really simple, but it's not. It's based in really, really deep psychology. Okay, when you're a baby, there's a stage of development that goes all the way from zero to basically through the first year. It shifts a little at about seven months when ch children start to have um, stranger anxiety. And it's because 
in the first six months of life, a baby cannot really truly differentiate that you are different, a different individual. They don't have an understanding of individuation. They aren't in the like, hey, I'm me, and you are you. They don't really have that. It's called primary narcissism. It has nothing to do with being a narcissist. A narcissist is what happens later on when people don't get taken care of during primary narcissism. But the most important thing during primary narcissism is having your parents, and you know, Kurt, because you have multiple children, that delicious phase when the baby is between zero and a year, you just can't bite their cheeks enough. You, can't, <laughs> you cannot coo over them enough. You cannot throw them up in the air and make them giggle enough um, because the part of you that is just bursting with just the juiciness and the love that you feel toward this child is just spilling out of you. You are a natural fountain of giving when your child's in that phase of development. When you have parents that attend to you in that kind of way when you're young and are constantly feeding your primary narcissism, they get to just soak it up. It's like, you know, that warm sun on a beautiful beach. You know, they get to soak up all that love. And that love is what builds their ability to stand up, start walking, start running around the house and being the terrible two terror that they become. Because they now have a sense of self and it's like, I want my apple juice now. <laughs> and yet it's, it's all like a, an important part of that phase. So what happens, fast forward, you get into grade school and people bully you. You are not invited to the birthday parties that other people got invited to. Maybe you have stutter or you have a learning disability. Whatever it is that's, that's a challenge for you, you're not getting nourished. You're not getting fed. Unless you come home to parents that are constantly building your self-esteem, can, life can be pretty empty. And if you have a, a parent who's a drug addict or who's depressed or who's an alcoholic, you know, if you have that kind of those huge, huge gaps where you don't have somebody that's even playing in the same arena with being able to give to you um, your narcissistic needs, it's not like they go away just because you turned a year old and oh. moved on. So the need to be witnessed, the need to be seen, understood, and loved is the most powerful ritual of our life. And it never goes away. Even as adults, you cannot underestimate the amount of the desire that people have to be authentically witnessed. And so when you appreciate somebody, and I, I really coach people on the authenticity of it. When you appreciate somebody in a way that they really know that you love them and that you see them, sometimes it can be a moment when they're telling you about their hard day at work and it's like, you know, I wish your boss could see you the way I see you, because here's what I know about you. And you read them the list of, of ways that you just think they're beyond incredible. Those moments are so powerful that it just, you know, it unwinds a lot of stuff. And if that is a, a tone in the marriage where there's that constant sense of giving back to somebody um, by appreciating them, their narcissistic needs are not only met, they become a hundred times more powerful as a person because they, they step away. It might seem like a small moment, but they step away from that moment and their cape flies out behind them and they go, they put their arms on their, on their, on their hips, you know, hands on their hips. And, you know, they feel like they're invincible. They can take off and go after their world in a different way. And I've had so many men say, my wife just, you know, she gives to me in so many ways. And I feel so powerful because she always reminds me I'm powerful. And it's like those, those are such winning moments in our coaching. I mean, we feel the real power of that. So that's my favorite. And it's because it's a simple thing to do. I tell people start with three times a day and build up to five. But if you can find five ways a day to appreciate your wife or your husband um, or your partner, it doesn't have to be married and it also doesn't have to be same sex. You know, there can be, I mean, there's just a partnership is a partnership. But when you take that time to appreciate that other person and witness them, you're giving them a gift that's really powerful. And heck, do it with your kids. Do it with your friends. Do it with, uh, yes. yeah, you know. It's true, of all, 
Not true of all the five secrets, honestly. There's, there's, yes, it's about marriage. Yes, it's about this kind of relationship. But it, there are principles in there that are applicable to any relationship. Kurt, this well, has been so delightful. Thank you so much for all this time. Yes, Anna, John. First of all, thank you for writing the book. As I mentioned, it, uh, and I think maybe I mentioned it before we hopped on, it, it came at a time where it was very touching and and um it was the first book i'd read in a while where i actually had some tears in my eyes due to some things that happened in my family but it really resonated with me i know it's going to resonate with everyone who reads it don't feel like you got to read the other go-giver books to read it but my goodness if you haven't read the other go-giver books just read them all read them all in a row start now and then you'll be prepared for when this comes out um but anna john thank you so much for joining us on the show and we're going to link to everything in the show notes so people can go and get the book. Anything we missed that you'd like to end on? I would like to end on um, that people can pre-order at um, www.gogivermarriage.com. They can pre-order the book. There are some incredible gifts. John and I did two masterclass, little mini masterclass videos that are gifts. And we have some other gifts as well. And they're all on the website. Um, we also have like a ton of people that endorse the book that are some really powerful, amazing people that we were so honored to receive their endorsement. So um, yeah, check out the website and thank you so much for spending all this time with us. And we really appreciate it. Oh, the pleasure is mine. The pleasure is mine. We're going to make sure we're pre-recording or we're separately recording an intro and I'm going to make sure right in that intro to give the gogivermarriage.com so people can go and pre-order so you get it when it comes out. Awesome. Anna, John, thank you so much. Thank Thank you you. so much, Kurt. It's been fabulous. Take care. 